This is the Microsoft Cloud Show, episode 324. Today, AC and I are going to talk about Azure DevOps, Sentinel going GA, and sticking Azure in a backpack. Recorded live October 11th, 2019. A 99.9% SLA means you're protected from power outages, bad patches, natural disasters, and maybe even a dinosaur attack. Does it protect you from yourself, though? Avpoint Backup for SharePoint Online provides full fidelity backup and recovery from individual items to entire sites. Avpoint can run backups up to four times a day to ensure your data is secure. Recover any time you want without having to pick up the phone and schedule restore windows. Learn why Avpoint is the Microsoft Cloud expert at www.avpoint.com. AC. CJ. Good to be with you. Good to be with you too, man. You, I see you are not in the local, in your uh, your normal studio. No, I am on crappy hotel Wi-Fi coming from LA. <laughs> uh, well, is it crappy hotel Wi-Fi or hotel Wi-Fi in crappy LA? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm taking the fifth. <laughs> we don't want to lose our LA contingent. <laughs> uh, exactly. We're, no, I'm uh, I'm traveling. I'm I'm on a wee trip, so yeah, I'm not in my normal location. But I'm I'm heading home today. Oh well, I hope you have a safe trip. I hope it's been productive. Is it work or a personal trip? Bit of both, actually. So yeah, I'm visiting some friends down here as well. Ah, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Well, you wouldn't just go to LA just for fun only. I mean, there, nobody's going to go to LA just for fun. <laughs> 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 I just happen to be in LA and let me find some, something to do. I don't like the city, but I shouldn't do this. Yeah, whatever. That's fine. I'm not a big fan of Los Angeles. It's too much. It's too flat. It's too sprawled out. It takes forever to get from one part of the city to the next. And I just, it's like a, a city in a desert, but they try not to be in a desert. And it's like, you don't really realize that you're in a desert, but then you get to Los Angeles and after a couple, it took me a couple of times to realize like, oh, this place is so dry. And it's like, yeah, you know, it's in a desert. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> kind of I, makes just, sense. I just, it boggles my mind how big it is. I just, it's still unfathomable to me. Like you could, you can drive in one direction for an hour and a half in traffic or whatever and, and not hit an edge. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I have something. I have some a cool little update for you. I I have a little Mm. surprise for you. So I like surprises. Usually, well, no, this is a good one. Uh, (laughs) It's not really. It's more or less a hey, guess what this has done for us and kind of thing. So a little over a month ago, maybe almost two months ago, we migrated our site from an orchard multi-tenant instance over to Hugo and. Right. Quick backstory on it was that we had an, ulti, an orchard multi-tenant instance that I hosted and it ran my personal blog, andrewcall.com and the podcast for both of our sites. We hosted all of our MP3s and all that stuff inside of the uh, inside of an Azure subscription. So we had a we had a web app, web app plan, we had a SQL Server database, some storage accounts. Each site had its own storage account with a bunch of stuff in it. Traffic, blah, 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 just all that kind of stuff. Yeah. We were spending, now when I say we, I guess it was, I was spending. So part of this was podcast, part of this was me, because I was also hosting my blog with this. But that entire setup was costing us about $95 a month. That's how much we were spending on hosting the site. Oh, yeah. Now, since we've moved (laughs) away from that, okay? Now, before we did that, before we did that, we had moved all of our MP3s out 
of Azure and we had put, we were hosting them with another site that helps us do stats better on the podcast. So it wasn't and the downloads and things. Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. And it just, they do a better job than we, we had our own homegrown stuff and it was like, you know, what, screw this. Let's just go with somebody who actually has a business that does this and give them a few bucks and to do it. So that does not include hosting the MP3s and the podcast did not get a ton of traffic as well, but it still costs money to, to have the database and all that other stuff up there. Sure. Now, I don't have, the podcast is now living in a different Azure subscription. I don't look at the cost for that because I think you're the one that owns it this time. But it still is pretty minor and what it does. I went through and I took a look at how much I'm spending a month now on my resource group that is hosting the entire Hugo-based site. Now, this includes a storage account that has a ton of information in it, a lot more than my old site did because I, I actually sucked in all the images and resources that I had from all these other places I was referencing stuff over the years from yeah. public Dropbox, public Gmail, public OneDrive, even live.com, images and Flickr, etc. I pull all that stuff into my site. So all the storage is in my site and I'm hosting it all on uh, using static sites. The cost has gone from about $95 a month to $650 a month for me. And the site is infinitely... $6.50, not $650. $6.50. No, no, no. Six dollars yeah. and fifty cents, like less than less than ten percent. The site is even is faster than it was. It's more responsive than it was, and I'm doing more stuff than I was doing before. I've added in. I haven't started really using it yet, but Azure Search is indexing the site. I'm going to add that to our podcast as well. I've already got the indexing and everything working. I just don't have it uh, have a UI for it yet. I've got. Azure, a CDN, CDN's running for it as well, uh, having the content. It is just, dude, it is awesome how much faster. And the flexibility of this of this thing is so much faster. It's easier to update the site, I think. Yeah, it just, it's been a really cool story for us. That's awesome. So really, dynamic. I'm, I'm trying to figure out, I'm just ha- trying to look up real quick what our site usage is and um, for our subscription for the podcast. So you have it all inside of one resource group? Yeah. If you go to cost analytics in Azure or cost something, yeah. and then there's a place where you can go to... Cost management and billing. There's a specific tab that you can go to or a specific... Actual, and go, yeah, and go, go to cost Under cost management, if you go to cost analytics on the navigation on the left side. Yep. And then on the scope, so choose the subscription and then choose the resource group. Oh, and then, yeah, I can't do that. It's because we are hosting the... Cloud Show podcast in my Azure subscription that I get as part of being an Azure MVP, and so billing is managed separately. Really, because that's how my—that's exactly what I'm doing with mine right now. I can't do I, it. It says I'm using my MSDN subscription. My subscription is coming soon. It can't be selected. Oh, interesting. That's annoying. Anyway, I'll figure it out. We'll update it. But I suspect it's in the realm of a few, a few dollars a month. Yeah, it's been a, a nice little update there. So. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Awesome. I was looking in the show notes and you said Hugo pricing update. And I was like, oh no, they're going commercial right after we <laughs> migrated. <laughs> no, 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 no. In fact, I've been, it's been really impressive on how easy working with Azure Search. We're going to do, a, a, we'll talk a little bit about uh, how we're adding search there, but it was a, uh, man, it's easy. I just had a special way. Every time we build the site, it builds a big JSON file. And I have Azure Search set to index this one JSON file once a day. And it just reaches out, indexes it within about literally about 30 seconds. And that's over like 2,500 pieces of content. And now I've just got to write the UI to 
query a REST API and say, here's the results. And it's just, nice. it's cool. I mean, it's like, if you search for React, then my posts about React in the last week show up before posts from like a year ago. So it's like, yeah. I've made time relevant. We're going to do the same thing with episode numbers. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Oh boy, I think we're totally breaking the bank. Uh-oh. It looks like we spent a total of 35 cents on the CDN. Oh, shoot. $1.73 on bandwidth out. Oh, no. Storage operations, $6. They could be mixed, though, because I've got a couple of things in this subscription, and I'm not okay. sure this is breaking it out to the right resource groups. I need the proper billing to totally make sure that's the case. But yeah, not much. Well, so, I mean, that's, you're staying right with what you just came up with was less than $7. So I guess we can afford about a half of a Starbucks coffee. <laughs> I don't think we can actually I'll, afford that. I'll have now. a very <laughs> short latte. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll have the latte without the phone, please. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, can I save on phone? Yeah. Hey, um, well, that's really good news. I, I think overall it was awesome that we've moved to Hugo, both from a cost perspective, but also just from a performance and all of the heartache and pain that Orchard was was costing us, I think it's worked out very well indeed. Agreed. Totally agree. Yeah. Cool. So Ignite Momentum is building. We're starting to get some plans together. We'll talk mm. more about them in the coming weeks. And we're, we're thinking about doing a little show about if you're a first-timer at Ignite or even a multi-timer at Ignite, our, our sort of tips and tricks for surviving the biggest Microsoft conference there currently is. Mm. And early. Uh, <laughs> Don't peak too early. <laughs> Fatal mistake. But avoid yeah, the I, bar on Sunday night. <laughs> avoid the bar on Sunday night and Monday night and Tuesday and night, Tuesday night and Wednesday and night. Wednesday night. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, we will talk more about those plans, but we're getting some good things underway and, and we'll have some great interviews lined up and so forth. So uh, exciting things coming up for Ignite. We're also... It sounds like we will also have some swag carrying around with us there. So if you see us and things, you'll be able to hit us up for some sweet Cloud Show swag. Mm -hmm. Anybody walking around shirtless, we may be able to help you. Um, <laughs> we, we may be able to help you. The order's been placed. Is that related to going to the bar on Sunday night? <laughs> yeah, we won't be walking around with shirts to help you out around 2.30 in the morning. <laughs> That's right, yeah. You're on your own. Hey, one thing that we haven't done for a while on our show, and I'd love to, we haven't gotten any of these in a long time, is um, listener questions. We used to get listener questions a bunch, and we haven't gotten any from any from from people in a very long time. So uh, I know people are listening to the show because they, it's funny because they chime in, they talk about an episode they just listened to on Twitter, and they're like, this is hilarious. I can't believe you said this. And you and I jump in on Twitter going, yeah, that was like a couple of weeks ago. Can you remind us what we were talking about? Yeah, what were we talking about again? Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, said, CJ what? was going to grab a, a bag of money and try and get out of the country, and it didn't work. And I'm like, yeah, I remember you said that, but I don't remember the context. Yeah, no, neither do I. It's always quite disturbing <laughs> when that happens. That's a really good idea, actually. I mean, get in touch on on our Facebook page. If you're a Facebook user, you can message us privately or or post to the Cloud Show Microsoft Cloud Show page. It could be on anything. I mean, it could be about our opinions on a particular piece of technology, or just a question about something you've been working on that you want our input on, or. Uh, you know, really anything. So, um, or a piece of technology that you've that you started to use, and you want to share your opinion on. I mean, give yeah, it a shot. Good if, point. If you want to write it in, or uh, hey, record it and send it to us as a send the link to us. We'd love to have that stuff on the show. So, for sure, for sure. Okay, should we get into some uh, meat and potatoes of the show? Absolutely. But first, let's hear from a pair of our great sponsors. 
Are you being asked repeatedly to integrate different business systems in ever narrower timeframes and with increasing process complexity? What if you could standardize the way you build these business processes so your team are focusing on higher value tasks versus the nuts and bolts of running the processes and integrations? Nintex can make it happen. With a Nintex platform, workflows from person to person, system to system, to the cloud and back. Got a custom system you want to connect with? No-code extensions let you plug into systems simply and easily using REST and Swagger. With Nintex, work just flows, so your teams can work smarter, work faster, and be more connected than ever. Try it out free for 30 days at www.nintex.com forward slash try NWC. For those of us familiar with ShareGate, we know they've always been about SharePoint and Office 365 migration. But now that we've all moved to the cloud, like me, you're probably thinking about how to scale your Office 365 to a full self-serve environment without worrying about thousands of groups and teams popping up out of nowhere, aka Sprawl. That's why the folks at ShareGate developed ShareGate Apricot. It's a solution that helps us automate our Office 365 group governance by allowing us to collaborate with users to keep everyone accountable for the things they create. Their super simple to use in-app experience lets us lighten our load by delegating group management responsibilities to users we trust, AKA no more sprawl. Want to get your hands on ShareGate Apricot? Try it free for 30 days at sharegate.com forward slash cloud show. All right, we've got some news and bits and pieces this week, AC. We've got some Azure goodies. We've got some stuff about Slack and Teams and Facebook, some other cloud news from AWS. So um, why don't we get stuck in? I am really intrigued by the title that you had for us about sticking yeah. a cloud in a backpack. What the hell is up with yeah. that? Well, I've got to say, it is pretty random. And I saw this, and I don't know much about it, actually. And it would be interesting to try and dig in on more detail, but I found a post by Brad Sams and it was titled, Microsoft unveils battery-powered version of Azure that fits in a backpack. <laughs> I'm sure it's not all of Azure, <laughs> but in a nutshell, they've made this thing called the Data Box Edge. It's a hardware as a service solution, right? So I guess you don't provide the hardware Microsoft does, but it comes as this little box that runs in a backpack, I imagine is where the backpack part comes from. It's got an FPGA in it, so a field programmable gate array. So you can you know, set up your program it, I guess, and load it onto this device. And so I guess they're looking at solutions like, I don't know, field operations. So like if you were doing, I don't know, surveying work perhaps in up the mountains or cell sites or underground tunnels or whatever, you could walk around with this thing and have a certain amount of compute power walking with you, mm. if that makes sense. That's cool. Yeah. And they said it weighs under 10 pounds, fits in a backpack, runs on batteries, and meets some ruggedized standard that I don't understand. 810G, whatever that is. Mm, I think it's better than 9G. I'm not sure where the Azure part of this comes in. It's been... <laughs> I'm not, I don't know if this has got you know like some services on it that from Azure that will run on it, or it's just a feature, that, sort of a hardware-as-a-service feature of Azure that they'll send you, you know? Yeah, doesn't feel particularly azure to me. Yeah, maybe like because you're saying like data box at the edge or something, maybe it's yeah. you take it out in the field and you come back in and it's just as simple as plug it into the network and then data just flows. I don't know, uploads it or something like super simple kind of data collection and pull it all together. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. 
Interesting. Anyway, I thought the title sounded really fascinating. Sort of blew me away. There's a little photo of this dude with a backpack, and so uh, maybe we'll see people walking around Ignite with them or something. <laughs> <laughs> I feel bad with them. Ten ten pound backpacks walking around. It. Well, then again, you see all those people at Ignite that walk around with those gigantic Swiss Army bags. So yeah, exactly, exactly. I can sense the joke now. Is that an FPGA in your pocket or are you just happy to see me? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Let me program it to tell you. That's right. So yes, that's what the backpack's all about. Ah, cool. I got another bit of Azure news here. It's uh, Azure DevOps related news. They have their release notes for Sprint 158 that came out on September the 23rd. They have a couple of cool updates here that they've uh, in this update. One of them is related to enhancements to approvals and YAML pipeline. So there's a way that you can have a gating function to make sure that your code isn't deployed or whatever isn't deployed unless there's a manual approval. So not everything kind of flows straight through. This update is going to allow you to have to enable configuring approvals on a specific service connection or a specific agent pool. So what that means is that if you want to deploy to, say, GitHub, or if you want to deploy to uh, one of your deployments is building, part of your pipeline is to build a container and then publish that container to, say, uh, Docker Hub or to the Azure Container Registry, you can have a, a manual approval set up for those service connections and not have to have that defined in each one of your pipelines. You can just make sure that any pipeline that uses that service connection is going to have to have that. So that's one. There's a bunch of updates, but the other one that I found kind of interesting here is uh, it also is related to the YAML pipelines or the multi-stage pipelines. So you have to have, and this is a preview feature, you have to have this turned on. But one of the things that's cool with this is that they've added some updates to both the Slack and Microsoft Teams integration. So what that does is that you can get notified on various events where before it was build started, build complete, deployment started, deployment complete. Uh, yeah. Well, when you have those multi-stage pipelines, you, you're not limited to just those two things. You can have a lot more set up, like a build stage, a test stage, a deployment stage. And you get updated on each one of those saying that you know one is started, one is running. The one thing that they haven't done yet, or at least I haven't been able to figure it out, is what if you are involved in a project that you're not in the organization and you want to be able to subscribe or find get updates on the pipeline running, but it's not your org. So like, for example, I have this set up inside of my teams for a bunch of my projects. The podcast lives inside of your subscription, inside mm -hmm. of your org, but I'm not in your org. I can get to it by using my MSA account to log in and see what's going on with it. But it's kind of annoying to have to go over there to see, you know, when has the site been deployed? Yeah. When's the site been deployed? It would be yeah. nice if I just had like a team set up to just say, you know, here's your update. And it doesn't seem, maybe I'm just missing it, but it doesn't seem to do, to really, you know, mix well, but I don't know. Mix, mix organizations. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, good point. So, I wish you'd set up a Twitter account, which is Microsoft Cloud Show Deployment Bot. And it just tweets when we do things. And the only two followers of it would be me and you. Hey, that works for me. <laughs> it's, not like, it's not like we care if it's public knowledge that we've deployed. <laughs> it's because it's public. Yeah, exactly. Another release here we've got, it's gone general availability, is Azure Sentinel, Sentinel which is mm -hmm. a security information and event management application for the cloud era. So basically, this is we've talked about this on the show before, about the preview for it, I believe, some time back. The idea here is there's loads of data going on that Microsoft is collecting or that's available that you need to be able to analyze very quickly to detect threats and things like that, and basically to rationalize over 
all of the security and threat data that's that you have at your disposal. And Sentinel mm-hmm. is is designed to help you do that. So things like applying machine learning to detect, you know, to do threat analysis and things. I imagine you point this at a bunch of your infrastructure and it's gathering all this information and pumping it through all these ML models and things and then really helping you to do alert and alerting and eventing based on certain things going on. And I know that mm-hmm. this is obviously a pretty important topic as you're moving a whole bunch of infrastructure to the cloud. People want to make sure that you're able to detect intrusions and weird stuff going on in your environment. And uh, and Microsoft's, there are lots of tools that help you do this, right? There are lots of third-party and commercial tools that help you do this. But Sentinel is the sort of the out-of-the-box Microsoft solution to this. Very cool. Go on, yeah, they've got, GA. yeah, although I'm not much of a security expert in general, they've got some whizzy graphs. <laughs> Sounds which like helps Power BI, <laughs> which, yeah, which helps me immensely. I mean, Wizzy Graphs—that that looks pretty sweet. The other interesting thing I noticed here is if there are incidents that kick off, right, or that occur, they do integration with other stuff. So you could hook it up with Logic Apps to do the management and the sort of the workflow, I guess, of that of that incident, which I thought was pretty nifty. You make a comment about the Wizzy Graphs. There was um, I don't want to say his name because I don't think I don't know if he would be okay with me saying this that he said this publicly. Well, anyway, I'm not going to say his name, but he was talking about Power BI and he was kind of ranting a bit on the whole education piece on Power BI and how they show you how to do stuff. And he's like, why is it that every single Power BI video is all about, okay, now let me show you how to do this. Now here I've got some data and now check out these dashboards. And he's like, what about the middle part? Yeah. (laughs) Isn't that the bit that you're there to learn? (laughs) So I'm like, you know, that is exactly... I'm having to build some training for some stuff right now for Microsoft and they've given me some resources and they're like, use this as the, the template for um, the getting started thing for showing people how to use it. And I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm like, this is like trying to teach somebody how to cook dinner, but you just said subscribe to the HomeFresh, which is here's all the stuff you need, put it all together, which is one step, stick it in the oven for 40 minutes, pull it out, plate it and have your dinner. It's like, um, how did you make it? That's the kind of part I was trying to learn how to cook. <laughs> It's like, here are some parts for a rocket, and now here we are on the moon. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What about the middle part? (laughs) So I've got one here. Uh, Microsoft has a GA release, or I guess an updated release, for the Azure Storage Explorer, the desktop client that you can use to look at things like Azure Storage, Cosmos DB, Data Lake, Gen 2, and starting with this version, Managed Disks. So this new version adds support for Managed Disks, it's now available on the Snap Store. So the Canonical, I can never say that word right. Canonical. Canonical, canonical thank you. Right. Is it can- Sounds good. I think that that's right. Canonical, it's on the right? Snap Store as well. But another thing too that's neat about this, and it's a minor feature, but I don't know, it's a big deal for me, is that there are new user settings that you can set. So things such as your proxy and the application theme, it can now do dark mode. Oh my God. Alerts so, the media. Well, now, stop. I guess we have the media. Hold on. (laughs) We're talking about it. See, I'm letting you know about this right now. Here's the media. um, I'm a big fan of the dark mode stuff. I know people give, you know, people give like millennials grief and stuff like, oh, dark mode, big deal. But for someone, I notice a difference on like the strain on my eyes on looking at a screen all day and having having at least my my desktop, my laptop, having things go dark mode by default and... When switching over to my like my iPad or my or my phone, 
during the day. Yeah, I like those when I'm using those and I'm kind of out and about. I like those in light mode, but I like it them how they deep, they switch over to dark mode when the sun goes down. I like that. It's easier on. The, I find it to be easier on the eyes. I know it's minor, but it's also it's also a change on. Um, it helps your battery. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I will certainly upgrade for dark mode. Cool. There you go. Last one on Azure, coming out with this thing called Direct Upload to Azure Managed Disks. So previously, if you wanted to migrate a like a VHD or something like that to Azure, you used to have to like upload the VHD into storage, and then you could work on it and convert it to a managed disk. Now, Microsoft are providing a better way to upload directly into into managed disks, so you sort of skip the intermediary step. That makes sense. So <laughs> the middle part. Oh yeah, skipping the middle part. <laughs> We're skipping the middle part. There you go. Good point. So yeah, there's a new way to go and upload. They call it direct upload to go and upload large disks straight straight into managed disks without having to go through these intermediary steps. And also at the same time, now, this is an interesting interesting little tidbit. They've added managed disk support for Azure Storage Explorer. Just pretty mm. sweet, mm. yeah. So you can go find out, go peruse all of your uh, your local VHDs and turn them into managed disks directly. Sweet, very yeah. cool. Yeah, nice little. Uh, oh, there's also a fancy little REST APIs, PowerShell, obviously. Yada yada yada. CLI. Yeah. Very cool. Indeed. How about we take a quick break and come back with some Slack and Team stuff? Sounds good to me. Struggling to reproduce problems in your code base? Successful software starts with Raygun. Raygun provides application performance monitoring, unlike anything you've experienced before, offering greater clarity around how your software is performing for your customers than any other APM provider. Easily detect and diagnose issues impacting end users and monitor every part of your stack in one place. It's time to get back to building great software instead of fighting it. Start your journey to better software quality. Try Raygun free at raygun.com today. Hey, before we do the Slack and Team stuff, I got a bit of news. Oh, go ahead. Did you know that Amazon EKS now has support for Windows containers? Ooh. It's actually... <laughs> I love that we do this on video. I know that you guys, I know that you guys listen to this, can't see it, but you, you're like looking like a little... You look like a chimpanzee that just got surprised. Like, ooh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is a surprise. I am genuinely surprised by this. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> I am a bit of a weirdo sometimes. So Amazon EK is getting Windows container support. This is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Their Kubernetes service, that's pretty interesting because Microsoft are really only just there with Windows container support. Mm-hmm. Just. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I'm surprised Amazon are right in there. This has been running in preview since back in March of this year. So from March to October, they've gone GA with it. And it's using AKS version 1. EKS. 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 I didn't mean AKS. I meant Kubernetes. It's running Kubernetes version oh, 1.14. Gotcha. Interesting. That's fascinating. I wonder where this came from from their, their list of requirements. There must be customers wanting to do Windows workloads for some reason. It's surprising. I thought they would be well behind the eight ball on this one. You found some Slacky team news. Yeah. There's a tool that I came across called Slacko. S-L-A-C-K-O.io. And I just thought it was interesting. And I thought there might be listeners who 
may care about this. And that so it's a tool that will basically keep Slack and Teams in sync, which I thought was pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. And migrate, well, mostly migrating stuff, right? To get stuff across between Slack and Teams, which mm. I thought was there must be a lot of people doing this, like companies and stuff like I've just been through this. And so I know how painful it was. We didn't migrate anything, but I know how painful from an organization migration point of view. We had, I mean, the whole office hates us right now for moving to Teams. I'll be frank. <laughs> There's no sugarcoating it. They just despise it. But this might make your life a little bit easier being able to move stuff across. Oh, move stuff across. I mean, does it? would you say that it is a fair solution for someone who doesn't want to use Teams, wants to keep using Slack, and so they can just stay in Slack while keeps it sync or no it- so well no this is a one-way migration tool slacko is a one-way migration uh, tool another one called mio m.io this one will keep it in sync between okay. teams slack and webex teams as well by the looks of it this has this sort of this perpetual motiony thing going on where they'll move stuff back and forth so you set up the mappings and all that and then it migrates it around i have no idea if this works <laughs> that God, that reminds me back to the whole like content deployment thing with uh, back in oh, the WCM days. God, you just made me shudder. <laughs> <laughs> the whole synchronization of content, like, yeah, I don't want any part of that business. <laughs> yeah. M- this Mio, Mio, I imagine that's how you pronounce it. This could help if you're having to do coexistence where you need stuff. The demo they show is you type a message to me in Slack and I reply from Teams and it all goes back and forth. If it works, really that's pretty sweet. Uh, it works great in the demo. Yeah, works on I'm my sure machine. The, yeah, but at, at some point, things have just got to get messy. I just, and I mean, your organization's probably going to get pissed about, no, we need, we're trying to have you know, everything in one spot. And we're trying to have, you know, make sure we can control communications. And someone's like, well, what about like, you know, PII and blah, blah. And I can just, I can see that just becoming a... Oh yeah, no, totally. I won't name and shame them on the show, but I know of a company whose official response to the Slack versus Teams battle was both. And so... They've resigned themselves to the fact that they're going to use both collaboration tools as a company. And so something like this could help mm. us in a situation like that, I guess. Wow. Curious, huh? Ah, there you go. So slackO.io for migration and Mio, M.io, I'm sensing a theme here, <laughs> uh, for keeping stuff. <laughs> oh, Slacko Mio. Isn't there a song? <laughs> No, I'm getting. I'm going in the wrong direction with this. That I probably should. I should it sounds like a Pavarotti. Something Pavarotti would sing. Oh, Slacko yeah. Mio. <laughs> 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 anyway. There was some more news I saw around Slack. I think that you grabbed this, didn't you? Yeah, Facebook's Slack competitor hitting three million users. Uh, workplace. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> your face. Oh, that's funny. If a tree falls in the forest and nobody hears it, does it really fall? Well, I mean, three million is nothing to sneeze at, right? And it I mean, sort they of, had two. But, but isn't it? Isn't it? Well, though? well, like, so, not in comparison to the big boys. Okay, but hold on a minute. Because it's Facebook and because we're talking about three million people, then no, that's not very big. But it grew from two million to three million since February, right? So it's got about seven months. It's gotten about a million people in seven months. Mm. It's not bad. I guess. The one thing I don't like about Facebook, there's no good delineation between work and personal. So I do Facebook ads, but when I go into my Facebook ads, that's my personal account that I need to use. I don't have a separate account that I've created for that. You always use your own personal one. 
And gotcha. I can't go in there and start doing Facebook ads and then people see that, oh, look, Andrew's online. So they try and chat with me on Messenger or that kind of... And it's like, I'm working. Yeah. I'm not, and that's, that, that's actually, a, bit of a bit of a pain. I don't, I don't know how that works with their workplace offering. I imagine that's a bit more segregated than that. You know, you would think so, but I would think that the ad part was even, would even be more segregated, but it, it isn't. I mean, that's the thing is you're, yeah, you're in there... Even when I go in to go, when I go to, like we have Facebook pages that we use for the podcast or I use for my site. And when I go in to go manage those and work with those, it's all done using my personal account. And hmm. I mean, that's the other thing I don't like is you get like, you get people who see that you're the one that's posted the ad. And I then get these random friend requests from customers or from people who've you know done the subscription. Oh yeah. Facebook's personal, man. Facebook's not, for me at least it's personal. I don't, yeah. I'm not into collecting friends, so. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, how about we get on to some exciting picks? Sounds good to me. CJ's Hyperfish automates the collection of user profile information from users in organizational directories, such as Office 365, SharePoint, Active Directory, and HR systems. The secure service supports on-premises, hybrid, and online environments. Bring your directory to life at hyperfish.com. ACs Voitanos delivers on-demand video-based training for developers on the latest SharePoint extensibility model from Microsoft in his course, Mastering the SharePoint Framework. Okay, so you've got a couple listed down here. You uh, you can't help yourself by the looks of it. I, I can't. And I'm going to mention one because I think that it's something... I mentioned it on Facebook and on uh, Twitter last night and or on Instagram. And a bunch of people... like I got a lot of really good response from it really quick. So it's called Mounty Plus. And mm. what this is, is a, if you have a, you can use like a tablet with your laptop and make it like a second screen, right? Now, I know that there's a solution for this in Windows. And there's an app called Duet that does this. I've used Duet. I had performance issues with it. The screen would get quite laggy for me. And then was using a tool called, or a, it was actually an app and a device called Luna, that allows me to do the same thing, but also like use my iPad as like a, a handwriting thing for my, for my laptop. Mm. So right now, though, the latest version of Mac OS, Catalina, has a feature on it called Sidecar. And so if you have an iPad on the same network as your laptop and your, lap, your MacBook is within, is only like the last, is within two years of age, it's only two years old or younger, then on the Air, uh, I think it's called AirPlay, my iPad shows up and I can say, connect to AirPlay or connect to my iPad and it uses my iPad as a second screen. So Wait. however however technically you hook this stuff up, I mean, that's, that's up to you as a bunch of different options. But all Mountie is, is this little device that pinches one side of your laptop screen and one side of your iPad and it turns it into where your iPad's kind of hanging off your screen. Yeah, so it this, mounts it. Yeah, it's this tiny little device. And it's the thing is about the size of a phone in terms of like... Mm. The main, but it's not a full like size phone thing. So it fits sure. in your bag, fits in your pocket. I use it when I'm not at home, uh, and I want to connect my iPad to my laptop and do it. It's really cool. I mean, the device is it's really slick, and it's like 35 bucks. So if you're interested in doing something like that, go check it out. It's uh, by a company called Ten One Design dot com. There's a gotcha. Mountie and a Mountie Plus. And the Mountie Plus is what you need if you have the big iPad, like the iPad 12. Gotcha, gotcha. Now that's awesome. That looks pretty fancy. Now, my other pick, I hesitate to go here because it can be a very... Actually, this is good because I know we're on a time crunch, so I'm not going to be able to really get into this. You may be really interested in this too. So it's a Netflix documentary that my wife found that we've been watching it the last few days. And 
I've been, it's about it's five episodes. It's called The Family. And the byline for it or the tagline for it on, the, on Netflix's site is it's an, an enigmatic conservative Christian group known as The Family wields enormous influence in Washington, D.C. in its pursuit of global ambitions. Wow. It, it is. This looks really interesting. It's fascinating. Now, but it's a documentary almost. It's a documentary. It's, a documentary. it's almost an investigative reporter guy because th- there's a book called The Family, The Secret Fundamentalism at the Heart of American Power. And it was by this guy named Jeff Charlotte. And he went and kind of became a member of the family, or it's called a friend of the family. And he went to their like enclave and all that stuff, learned a lot about it. He's written a lot about it. I've never looked and watched something and had to spend this much time. I'm four hours into it and I'm still looking at it going, I don't know what to make of this. <laughs> it's seriously, I mean, I am fascinated by it. I'm, I'm, I'm watching it. As I'm watching it, I'm studying it and it's hard to put down. Okay. I'm going to download some of this for the flight home. The first two of them kind of put things, really kind of set some stage stuff, but you get into episode three and it's like, oh, I need to see the next one and I need to see the next one. And I, wow. I'd love to talk to you about it after you watch it. I don't want to talk about it on the show because I think it may alienate some listeners and stuff or it may uh, sure, it, sure. It may rub people the wrong way, but I'd love to talk to you about it. Is it's, I'm, my wife and I are like, oh, this is fascinating. Fascinating. That's a good one. Thanks for, the, uh, thanks for the pick. I'm glad we're on a time crunch because I could go on for a long time about this and probably dig a pretty damn deep hole. So yeah. right, what, do you got for, <laughs> what do you got for a pick, CJ? Well, I've got a lighter side of life. It's a YouTube video, which is Making of Hunt for Red October. Behind the scenes, it's pretty simple. It's a half hour show that's up on YouTube that I found that I, you know, I went deep on YouTube the other night. You know, we, you know, one of those things where you end up with 50 tabs open and like a mixture of like Wikipedia and YouTube and Reddit and like you find stuff you'd never wish you'd ever seen. And <laughs> it's like, there's all sorts of stuff going on. Anyway, I was on the submarines subreddit and I got onto this. Let's put it that way. Like it was dark. I had a, yeah, there was scotch involved, but it was awesome. Anyway, this making of the Hunt for Red October, it's just a really cool set of interviews with all the cast and how they made certain things. The, the whole movie was made before CGI was really a big thing. Mm-hmm. And so there was a little bit of a little bit of special, like computer-generated special effects of this movie in, in Hunt for Red October, but most of it was done with miniatures, right? The actual submarines and all of that is all done with miniatures. And you oh, see I how they did it all. Whiskey bottles. No, that was... <laughs> No, that's definitely not miniatures. That's what you were doing when you were watching the video. Right. I got it. Yeah, <laughs> the, the, the minibars are wreck. I see. But, um, no, the um, even just like inside the submarine, you know, inside uh, both the Russian and the and the U.S. submarine in the movie, and the sets for them, and what they used, and how they recreated certain things, and how they did all the tilting and gimbling of it all is fascinating. Anyway, if you're a fan of that movie, it's definitely worth a watch. I'll have to go take a look at that. Hey, now we've got a listener pick this week. We do. So this is by Jeffrey Bird, who has, he submitted him before. He's got his solo key. But this one, I couldn't let it slide. This is an article about a guy who built his own radio telescope out of roof flashing, an empty paint thinner can, free software-defined radio app, free software-defined radio app. That's interesting. A USB receiver and the length of coax cable. The whole project costs him less than 150 bucks, and he's already used it to detect galactic hydrogen and monitor the motion of our Milky Way galaxy's spiral arms. Wow. that's am- Some people are incredible. Yeah, it's pretty neat. He's got a... What's neat my, about it? 
my wife may divorce me if I want to put these on the roof. <laughs> <laughs> Don't expect to hear ET, but being able to map the Milky Way in this fashion feels strangely empowering. It'll be $150 well spent. And it's got a little chart of showing the signals that he's picked up. And you can see the Orion arm, how it kind of yeah. comes around. And then the Pegasus arm, it, or no, Perseus, Perseus arm. Perseus, yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah, that's cool. Man, some people are smart. Yeah. Thankfully, they write about my, it. I'll just stick with my YouTube benders. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. Yeah, yeah. Hey, cool. Thanks for another good week, AC. We will catch you again next week. We'll talk a little bit more about Ignite and Bits and Bobs coming up. And I'm looking forward to spending some time in Orlando together soon. Absolutely, man. Same here. And uh, have a fun time for the remaining day in Los Angeles and a safe trip home. Yeah, fly back this afternoon. So I'm looking forward to getting back to the rain. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm <laughs> kidding. <laughs> cool deal, man. All right. Have a good one. Bye. Too. Did you like this episode? Please tweet about it and drop a five-star review in iTunes. Word-of-mouth recommendations are the most effective ways for us to grow the show. We'd really appreciate it. If you have a question for us, go to microsoftcloudshow.com slash questions, where you can submit it as text or record it as an MP3 or WAV file and provide a link so we can play your question on the show. Our theme music is brought to you by Keith Ritchie. For more information on Keith's music, head to music.kritchie.com. You can subscribe to us in iTunes and Google Play Store by searching for Microsoft Cloud Show or via RSS at microsoftcloudshow.com, where you'll also find show notes of each episode. You can also find us on Facebook searching for Microsoft Cloud Show or on Twitter at MS Cloud Show. And finally, sign up for our mailing list by heading over to our website and entering your email to interact with us, participate in upcoming interviews, and other cool stuff. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.